we invite you to get out or bi your Bibles or Bible app and go to today's reading from the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Bibles are available in the backs of the chairs and they are free for the taking to anyone who needs one. And now, today's scripture reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 2 and 3, 14 and 15, and 26 and 27. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I'm Amy Wilson Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar. I'm glad to be with you on this fourth Sunday in the season of Advent, Christmas Eve, one week from today. Can you believe it? Before we begin, whether you are here in the sanctuary or worshiping through our online campus, please make sure you have a highlighter and a Bible or your Bible app. We also have the sticky notes available to mark your place. Johnny has both highlighters and sticky notes. If you need them, you can just raise your hand. And if you need these items at home, let me know and we'll make sure you get those as well. Just raise your hand and keep them raised. We also have a youth word of the day. Thank you, Shannon. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have said it before, but it's a quote that bears repeating, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. This wisdom comes to us from the great Dale Carnegie, the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. A person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Names are a big deal. I remember clearly my decision to change my last name to Jason's after we got married. I was confident in that decision, but the significance of the change was not lost on me. And then years later, we took great care in the naming of our children, and they all bear a name that is linked to a family member or another. 
most of whom they have never met or don't remember meeting. When we learn others' names, when we take time to learn and speak the names of others, we indicate that we see them, that they have value, that their stories matter, which also means that sometimes the most interesting stories are found in the names that are never or rarely spoken. That's one of the premises underlying our current worship series, Origin Stories, The Mother of Jesus. During the Advent season, we are taking time to consider the stories of the five women who are included in the genealogy of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 1. So I hope you still have the genealogy of Matthew marked. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 1 in your Bible or in your Bible app. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Again, the purpose of the genealogy is to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham, so it is clear that Jesus is the one about whom the prophecies have spoken. He is the Christ child that is coming, has come, to save the people of God. So that's what we see in verse 17 with the explanations of all of the generations. So if you have not yet highlighted chapter 1, verse 17 in Matthew, I really encourage you to do so because that verse is foundational and will continue to be important. And now go up to verse 3 where you see Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. If you haven't highlighted that piece yet, go ahead and do that now. Tamar... She's the first woman listed in the genealogy, and it is from her that Jesus learned to challenge the letter of the law and to take risks to ensure the safety of the vulnerable. And then we look at verse 5, and you see Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. So we have the names of two women in that section from Rahab. And Jesus learned to connect what God was doing in the present with what God had done in the past through signs of love and grace. And from Ruth, Jesus learned to make choices to prioritize the needs of others, especially those who were considered marginalized or outcast. And that brings us then to verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. She had a name. Many of us know it well. But the fact that her name is omitted here in many translations speaks volumes. Matthew has gone to great lengths to defy tradition by including women in the genealogy of Jesus, especially women of questionable reputation. He's acknowledged the power in their stories by listing them by name. All but one, Bathsheba. We meet Bathsheba in the book of 2 Samuel in the escapades of King David. And even in the recounting of her own story, Bathsheba is portrayed as a supporting character in her own life, at least in the beginning. She is first mentioned in the verses that Lizanne read with us this morning, so I hope you still have a 2 Samuel marked in your Bible. The sticky notes are helpful for this. Go back to chapter 11. 
verses 2 and 3. Chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, verses 2 and 3. I've got to get the right marking here. There we go. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported that this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We're given Bathsheba's name here in a way that clearly identifies her as the property of her husband and her father before that. That's worth highlighting. Regardless of that fact, David sends for Bathsheba to be presented to him in his palace. And what happens next can also be found in chapter 11. For the sake of young ears in the room, we will skip those details. But let's make note that there is no mention of Bathsheba's consent. The only thing that we hear from her in this exchange and in the series of events that immediately follows is the message that she sends to David in verse 5. Did you catch that? 2 Samuel chapter 11, just move down to verse 5 now. And I will read that as well. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Again, she's not mentioned by name here, just as the woman. I would encourage you to highlight the words of Bathsheba so they don't get lost in the action that swirls around her. Let's not let the boldness of her choice to contact the king get lost either. It was a risky move, and it shows strength on her part. When David hears news of the baby, he hatches a plan to clean up the mess that he's made. He calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, out of the war zone. Let's not forget that David's army is fighting the Ammonites at this time, and that Bathsheba's husband is in the field, risking his life for the king that has just betrayed him. King David tells Uriah to go home, hoping that the soldier would reconnect with his wife and later presume that her baby was his but Uriah is so dedicated to the king and to the cause and to the men that he's left in the battlefield that he refuses to darken the door of his own home. He sleeps instead outside of the palace. David calls for Uriah once more and gets him drunk, this time hoping that he would go home. But Uriah again sleeps outside of the palace, and that's when David sends Uriah back into the field, to the front lines and seals the soldier's fate by telling the commander to withdraw from Uriah so that, and I quote, he will be struck down and die. We learn, of course, that the plan unfolds exactly as David designs it with no input from Bathsheba and completely without her knowledge. Let's continue to look at 2 Samuel. Go back to chapter 11. Let's read verses 26 and 27. Chapter 11, 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. What do you notice about verse 26? 
Once again, Bathsheba is listed not by name, but by relation to her now dead husband. She's described as doing the proper thing here, as observing the prescribed time of mourning. And then David has her brought to his house. She becomes his wife and gives birth to a son. I would encourage you to highlight the wife of Uriah and the words David had her brought to his house. Because yet again, we have not a word from Bathsheba. Nor are we given any indication about how she feels about any of this. And the nightmare was just beginning. We are told in the text that David displeases God, that God is displeased with David's actions. The prophet Nathan is sent to share God's displeasure, and David admits and repents of his guilt. And then the baby born to Bathsheba and David dies. Bathsheba's perceived lack of agency would be one thing if her story had fallen into oblivion throughout the generations, but just the opposite is true. Bathsheba has no anonymity. Over and over again, her story is told, and it's often presented to us as if she seduced David and manipulated the situation to earn herself a literal crown and the title of queen, preferred over the many women who had become David's wife ahead of her. She is portrayed as David's partner in adultery, an accessory to murder, perhaps even deserving of the loss of her child, a classic scapegoat. And through it all, Bathsheba never defends herself, not once. Maybe she wasn't given the chance, but maybe she understood better than the male power players around her, the power of silence. You know people were talking about her, hurling insults toward her. Not unlike they did Jesus throughout his ministry and certainly after his arrest. Let's turn now to the New Testament. To Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 14, verses 53 through 61. Matthew 14, 53 through 61. Right? It's also a beautiful sight to walk through the sanctuary when it's empty and see those sticky notes sticking out of those Bibles. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many had given false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it? that they testify against you. But he was silent and did not answer. He was silent 
Jesus answers later about being the son of God, but in reply to accusations of specific actions of wrongdoing, Jesus says not a word. Is it possible that as Jesus sat accused, a vision of his ancestor Bathsheba came to mind? Could it be that Bathsheba's story washed over Jesus, steadying him in that moment, enabling him to tap into the power of silence in the face of slander and false accusation? Was the proclamation of his identity as a son of God made that much more powerful because his own heritage included the wisdom of biding time and measuring each word? The wisdom of Bathsheba, whose name, by the way, means daughter of the oath, a name a name to which she lived up when she dared to approach King David once more, this time on his deathbed, to remind him of the promise that he made that her son, though not the firstborn and in line for the throne, would be the next king. Solomon, the man who would come to be known as the wisest ruler of all time, well remembered for knowing when to listen, when to speak, and when to keep silent, just like his mother, Bathsheba. Truly, as we look at the life of Jesus through the lens of odd female names in his genealogy, the origin story of our faith begins to glow with the power of women who would not and could not stay in their places. And if Bathsheba's name is missing from your translation in Matthew chapter 1, I encourage you to write it in the margins. That's where we find power most often. Beloved, for Bathsheba... The mother of Solomon, a mother of Jesus, a mother of our own faith, let us give thanks. Let us give thanks for Bathsheba's wisdom and allowing silence to point to the power of God at work in ways that we might otherwise miss. And may we get that from her. Amen. Amen. As we move into a time of prayer, I invite the kids to find the wooden crosses in their worship bags. Mine might have fallen out this morning. Here it is. Kids, do you have your crosses? You can hold them in your hands as a reminder that we are connected in prayer with God and with each other and with followers of Jesus around the world. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, maker of all creation, you have power and might over heaven and earth. You speak a word and the mountains move. You whisper and the sea obeys. You bring hope in times of despair and transform broken things into beauty. Lord, help us to see the wonder in your creation, to find goodness amidst our trials. For in you we can rejoice and be glad. No matter what the world brings, we can find joy in you. Help us to celebrate with joy and gladness this Christmas, for in you all things are made new. You are working to restore and remake all the broken pieces in our life and in this world. In you we will be glad and rejoice today and every day. All of this we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus the Christ, your greatest gift 